Yo, 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 man. Welcome back to For the Love of the Game, the podcast, episode two. Wherever you're listening to this podcast on, be sure to like, share, and leave a five-star review so we can help the platform grow. As we are going to review what could have been easily the greatest divisional round of football that I have ever seen. For sure in recent years, but I'm saying the one that I have ever seen. Three games were decided on game-winning field goals. In the game that wasn't decided on a game-winning field goal, took a field goal to send it into overtime, and then was decided on a game-winning touchdown. Before I go through and break these games down and give, you know, looks into next week, I want to give a point that playoff football is about your best players being the best selves at the best time. What I really loved about this divisional round is that all four teams, the winning teams, the plays that got them into field goal range were all star driven. You got the Bengals where Burrow connects on the 19 yard pass to Chase to be able to set up the field goal attempt. You got the Packers rush 49ers. Debo Samuels able to run for nine yards on a big third and seven that puts Robbie Gold in field goal range. Bucks versus Rams, we got the same thing. We have two passes to Cooper Cup on that final drive, one for 20 yards, one for 44 yards that set up Matt Gay's field goal attempt. In that Chiefs versus Bill game, the two plays with 13 seconds left to get them into field goal range, one went to Tyreek Hill, one went to Travis Kelsey. And then, of course, Travis Kels caught the game-winning touchdown pass. I say all of that to say, in the playoffs, where it's all about playing your best football at the right time, you just want to have your best guys doing exactly what they are supposed to be doing. And I love that because in crucial moments, all of these quarterbacks knew their go-to guy. They knew exactly where they wanted to get the ball to and who could make big plays happen. And that's why we got to love the playoffs, man. The greatest divisional round I've ever seen. But with that being said, let's get right into the Titans versus Bengals. We finally got to look at the number one seed in the AFC. We also got to look at Derrick Henry, who came back and had about 20 carries for 60, for 60-something yards. I don't remember the exact numbers. Not bad, considering he was out for majority of the week. Majority of the year, sorry. But as I stated early, Evan McPherson gives the Bengals a three-point win, 19-16, over the Titans. The Titans were able to sack Joe Burrow nine times. Joe Burrow now becomes the first player to ever win a playoff game after being sacked nine times. So you take Joe Burrow being sacked nine times, Ryan Tannehill throwing three interceptions, and you kind of weigh him out to see which one hurt the most. It has to be Ryan Tannehill because he threw his final interception with about 20 seconds left in the game on, I think it was like a third down. It wasn't the worst ball, but it was a dangerous ball simply because it got popped up in the air. And when that ball gets popped up in the air, it feels like hours before that ball comes down. And sadly, it came down right into a Bengals defender's hands that eventually led to the game winning field goal. There are tons of places to look here for the Titans. You didn't get much from Julio Jones, a guy you acquired. He was battling a hamstring injury. 
A.J. Brown was your workhorse. He actually had four catches for 122 yards in this game alone. So wherever we put the blame, it cannot be on A.J. Brown. But you flip over to this young Bengals team who is resilient. And the best thing you can do during crucial games is be young and unaware. They always say that because you can be free. And Joe Burrow goes out there. He's 28 for 37. That's only nine incompletions. 348 yards. No touchdowns in this low-scoring game. But again, they were able to make the plays they needed to. Connecting with Jamar Chase on a 19-yard reception to set up the game-winning field goal. We've all heard Joe Burrow come out and share the great story about Evan McPherson taking his little practice kick and saying, well, looks like we're going to the AFC Championship. He came out, he delivered on that promise he made before taking the field. And I think his was the best because it was from 52 and he turned away halfway through the kick to just put the icing on the cake. Bengals move on, Titans are out. I wasn't that big um, on the Titans anyway, so I, I could I see the Bengals, you know, possibly beating them. Next, we go down to Green Bay versus the 49ers, and there is a lot to unpack here. The 49ers were once three and five. Now they are headed to the NFC Championship, one win away from returning back to the Super Bowl where they just were in 2020. This 49ers team has won their last nine games. They went seven and two over their last nine games. And again, just helping my case of the playoffs is four games. It's about playing your best football for four games. Once you get into the playoffs, it's another season. You're zero and zero. What can you do now? We've seen this 49ers team battle back because it looked frightening when the Packers jump out, score on their first drive, a 10-play, 69-yard drive that had zero third downs at the very beginning of this game to jump out to a 7-0 lead. It looked very scary for the 49ers. But these are the games that the 49ers won. Keep it close. Although your offense for offense, the Packers have a better offense than the 49ers do. But this is a complimentary game where the Packers offense has to outplay the 49ers defense. And Saturday night, that didn't happen. After that opening drive, the Packers were only able to score three more points on their final nine drives. They finished with 263 total yards. 49ers held Aaron Rodgers to 4.8 yards in the air per completion. That's his second lowest in any playoff loss. They, ate, they also sacked them five times, and they had one fumble recovery. So that defense, after letting them march all the way down that first drive, they quickly went to the sidelines and said, this is not going to work. This is not going to cut it. We have to figure it out real quick. And these are the games the 49ers want. To be able to keep it close, their defense always being able to come up with stops, and their offense making just enough plays. That's how they got to the Super Bowl in 2020. That'll be the recipe if they want to get there again. But the 49ers have done the unthinkable. And, and think about this. This is the thing about Aaron Rodgers getting the number one seed. You get the number one seed so you secure home field advantage. But that means you go to Lambeau where it's freezing cold and it's going to be snow any time around this year. So you get the first seed, but then your pass-heavy team 
now has to deal with weather conditions and then throwing this leather brick around and having wide receivers catch it. You have to worry about footing. It's really tough, man, to get that number one seed and then know it's going to be freezing cold and we're still going to try to put this ball in the air. It would have helped if they could have got the run game. The 49ers shut the run game down. They shut that off. And this team has been on a tear, including already beating the Rams in week 18 after a 17-point comeback that they had to have to even get into the playoffs. So the team they beat to get into the playoffs is now the team they will face to see who goes to the Super Bowl. Not sure if there's a better written story than that out there. The block punt they had in the fourth with four minutes and 41 seconds to go. They tied it at 10-10 with a six-yard recovery. And fun fact, that was their first block punt in franchise history. Is that not crazy? And what a perfect time for it to come to be able to upset Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. This is a complete shock to everyone. I think a vast majority of people had the Packers winning this game. But I think now for Aaron Rodgers, anytime he loses at this point in his career, along with another guy who we'll touch on next, but anytime Aaron Rodgers losing at this time in his career, there always seems to be retirement questions. And I mean, if you look at the Packers season, they were the number one seed. They were 8-0 at home. They were 13-4. Aaron Rodgers put up MVP-type numbers. He was first in QBR. They even played the first half of the Lions game in Week 18 just so there wouldn't be any rust, knowing that they would have a first-round bye. Yet, he did all of that. The great season, the number one seed, the sitting out, you know, getting the first round by, playing the last week, and yet still no playoff win. I don't think he retires. It depends what that organization does, if he's going to be there, though, but I'm not sure if he retires. He's looking across the way at a guy named Tom Brady, who spent majority of his time playing for the New England Patriots, and once his time wore up, he was able to go rejuvenate himself with the Buccaneers be a different person as well but then being the new system to be able to take that team to the Super Bowl I think depending on what Green Bay does that's along the lines of what Aaron Rodgers is looking to do because again I mean they did everything they wanted to do but you get yourselves in a defensive game with the San Francisco 49ers and it's liable that you can lose speaking of Tom Brady he goes down 30 to 27 to the Los Angeles Rams. This game was once 27 to 13 with about three minutes left in the game. The game, and you're gonna ask why, the game was sealed until the Rams committed four turnovers. If you're gonna commit four turnovers against Tom Brady and let him get really close to making this thing a game, the most you can ask is that your defense help you out. And in this case, the Rams got that. They got three sacks and two turnovers on the day against the Bucks. All that just to allow them to score three touchdowns in the final 16 minutes. Two of them which came off of Rams fumbles. And I think that's the number one thing you can't do against Tom Brady is give him extra possessions. They did that. They played with fire. Luckily, they were able to get away with it. Thankful to Matt Gay's 30-yard game when a field goal. But... There's a lot to unwind in between all of that. Let's talk about what the defense was able to do to Tom Brady. They blitzed Tom Brady 17 times. 
Brady was four for 14 and he took three sacks whenever they blitzed him. That's the most he's been blitzed this year and the second most he's been blitzed since joining the Buccaneers as a whole. So yes, the line did get beat up. Tom Brady did take a beat and he got hit in the lip by Von Miller. All that did happen. But I think on the bigger scale, it is the wide receiver problem. Coming into this game, the Rams knew they have Mike Evans. We're going to one-on-one with Jalen Ramsey on Mike Evans the whole game. And while you couldn't stop Mike Evans, because he did have eight catches for 119 yards and one touchdown, if you put your best corner on him, you can live with the results, which is what they did. So I think while you're able to blitz and while that front four or five, however many there are, are able to get back there is because there's no Chris Godwin towards ACL and there's no Antonio Brown who's not on the team anymore. So therefore your depth chart, your wide receivers just got a lot more limited. I already knew Mike Evans and Gronkowski would have to take on a big part of this load. And if you look, Mike Evans, like I just said, had eight catches for 119 yards, one touchdown. Rob Gronkowski had four catches for 85 yards. The next guy after that was Leonard Fournette with nine receptions. Leonard Fournette is a power back. He can be used out the backfield, but that's not exactly what they're going to go to. And if they had a full lineup, I just can't imagine Leonard Fournette having nine catches. You look a little more down the list. Cameron Braid had one catch. OJ Howard had one catch. Scotty Miller had four catches. And Tyler Johnson had three catches. There's not much spreading the wealth that can come from that. So I think the Rams were able to see that. And like I said, we're going to one-on-one with Mike Evans and Ramsey. Ramsey, you just follow Mike Evans everywhere. Everybody else, maintain your guys. Don't let them get behind you. Don't get beat. And we can let our guys, Von Miller, Aaron Donald, Great Gaines, all these guys go after Tom Brady all day. Tom Brady's also not the most mobile guy, right? So you factor in the mobility, the lack of time, and the lack of receivers being open. That's a recipe for blitzing. And they executed that all the way. So not only did their defense come out and give the offense a chance when they were turning the ball over four times against Tom Brady, Matt Stafford in the offense also put on the show and Matthew Stafford was 28 for 38 with 366 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. The Triple Crown King himself, Cooper Cup, had nine catches for 183 yards and a touchdown. And they also had a 63-yard game-winning drive to get into field goal range. You heard Matthew Stafford after the game say he enjoyed taking souls today. Um, I'm a little iffy on that quote because... You know, Tom Brady is possibly one blitz call away from being able to upset the Los Angeles Rams with having far significantly less talent. Tom Brady was 30 for 54 with 329 yards, one touchdown, one pick. But that team scored 24 points in the second half, and it was pretty clear that he didn't have any weapons. Speaking of the blitz... It's definitely appropriate that we address that. There's a blitz call in a game to go to the NFC Championship on 1st and 10 with 23 seconds left. Rams are at the 40-yard line with no timeouts. Again, 1st and 10, 26 seconds left on the 40-yard line with no timeouts. 
we get a blitz from Tampa Bay, which then leaves all these receivers one-on-one. Cooper Cup ends up getting by his guy who did a slot blitz. And that essentially led to that 44-yard gain that set up the game winning field goal. I don't have too many comments on the blitz. I think, of course, as I just said about Aaron Rodgers, everyone's focus now shifts to what's next for Tom Brady. More than anything, I think Tom Brady's situation is just a little different because Tom Brady won the Super Bowl last year. All of his quotes that he has come out and said to end the year about his wife, Giselle, about we can't play forever, and just a lot of things that he's saying is hinting toward retirement. But he did put out a statement and said, I know everyone is worried about what I'm going to do. I don't have the answer to that yet. But right now, I want to be grateful for the season that happened. And you see that approach when players start to get a little older and maybe they're closer towards retirement. We seen Aaron Rodgers have the similar approach is that like now they're starting to understand you can have a great season without having to necessarily win the Super Bowl. And it doesn't mean the whole season was a failure. That's what happens when you get a little bit more mature and you start to realize that football isn't necessarily the end all be all. But Tom Brady has the same things as Aaron Rodgers, both 13 and four, the number one seed, both MVP type numbers. In his final game, he came back down from 24. It was Super Bowl versus Atlanta type vibes. He loses by three. What is next for Tom Brady? And now on to the best game of the weekend, the Chiefs versus Buffalo. AFC Championship rematch. No Tyron Matthew all game. That was pretty apparent. But before we even say that, let's just give the man Josh Allen his flowers. This was his coming out party. I understand he's done things in the past that led you to think he was a big body, solid quarterback with a strong arm. You know, there was the arm about who has the better throwing power wise, him or Patrick Mahomes. All of that. But I don't think he ever was going to get the, the the attention he deserved like he will after that battle with Pat Mahomes. In this postseason, he had 12 incompletions and nine touchdowns. In that game against the Chiefs specifically, he was 27 for 37 with 329 yards, four touchdowns zero interceptions him and pat had eerily similar stats i think this game basically came down to whoever had the ball last both of the quarterbacks led the team in rushes i mean their stats are smack dead similar so before we sit here and talk about how crazy the game was and which the chiefs did win it's only right that we give props to josh allen at least gabriel davis also deserves props but i think tyron matthew not being there Honestly, we've seen the effects of a guy, Gabriel Davis, who the most he scored in the game was two touchdowns. We've seen a guy like that get open three times, wide open. And it just leads you to believe would that have happened if Tyron Matthew was there. I'm not saying it for sure wouldn't have. I'm just saying it leads you to think that. But this game was as even as they come, man. 14 to 14. We all know the Stephon Diggs picture with them losing the AFC Championship last year. Him staying behind to watch the celebration. He had a full year of motivation and that was on full retrospect. We could see the Bills were hungry and they did not want to lose this game. Late in the third quarter, the Chiefs do a jet sweep to McCall Hartman. They go up 23-14. It's looking like 
we may start to pull away here, right? It's looking like we may start to pull away here. And right now, as a Bills fan or just as anybody watching good football, you know as a great quarterback, Josh Allen needs to respond. If you're going to keep not scoring and giving Pat Mahomes the ball and this offense the ball, you're going to lose without putting points. Well, Josh Allen answers with a one-play 75-yard drive. And just like that, this game (laughs) is right back to being a game. It was a 75-yard touchdown pass to Gabriel Davis, 49 yards in airtime, which is his longest completion of the year. Perfect time to have it. It was the perfect time to have it. And now, this is when things got serious. With 154 left to play, there were 25 points in in two minutes. And with 154 left to play, the Bills cap off a perfect drive to be able to end and win a game. A 17-play, seven-minute drive capped off with a Gabriel Davis touchdown on a 4th and 13. 4th and 13, seven-minute drive, 17-play drive. That is beautiful, and that sounds like a drive you would need on the road to be able to knock off the defending AFC champs. Not so fast, because with a minute left in the game, a minute or two, Patrick Mahomes throws a 64-yard touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill takes the, takes the middle route and just takes it to the house, capping off a 52-second 75-play yard drive. Now that, with a minute left, now it looks like the Chiefs have won this game. Not so fast, because I don't know if you remember, but I said Josh Allen had his coming out party. Chiefs are now up 33-29 to at this point. But with 13 seconds left to go, Josh Allen throws one to Gabriel Davis for their fourth touchdown together. Gabriel Davis had four touchdowns. Josh Allen had four touchdowns. They score with 13 seconds left in Arrowhead. They're, they're yelling at the crowds. Everyone's Everyone is excited. Josh Allen's excited. There's actually a moment I really love in this game where Josh Allen uh, throws a two-point conversion to Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs throws the ball to Josh Allen like they're celebrating. Josh Allen gets the ball. He throws it in the crowd. doesn't really say too much. He just gives them a stare like, I'm him. I'm, I'm that guy. And I love that moment just because it wasn't like they celebrated too early, but it was just a simple fact that Josh Allen in that moment didn't really do any extra. He threw the ball at the crowd and he just gave them a look like I'm that guy. There's 13 seconds left in this game. It was a pleasure playing with y'all, but it's time for y'all to go home for what y'all did to us last year. (laughs) And by now, of course, we do know that 13 seconds is way too much time. We've heard the whole story about how everything was orchestrated by Travis Kelsey, but with 13 seconds left, Patrick Mahomes completes a pass to Tyreek Hill and then to Travis Kelsey to get into field goal range. And Harrison Bunker, one of the most accurate kickers, was able to kick a 49-yard field goal to tie this thing up at 36-36. Game goes into OT. Chiefs get ball first. That's all she wrote. We know how that ends. But on a beautiful 75-yard eight-play drive in overtime, 
which is exactly what you want. Ever since they changed this rule in 2010 about whoever gets the ball and if they score first, the game's over, there's only been one team who took it to overtime who hasn't gotten the ball first and scored. Everyone else has gotten the ball first and scored and the game has ended there. This was the only game all weekend that didn't end on a field goal, but it did end in a game when it touched down with the Chiefs winning 42 to 36. Possibly the greatest game I've ever seen. Possibly the greatest divisional round I've ever seen. And we can only hope for more in this AFC and NFC championship. I appreciate y'all for listening. Again, wherever you get your podcast at, be sure to leave a like, share, and leave a review for me. I'll see y'all next week. Peace.